Hello, America, and welcome to a special edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Yes, today we're going to go on a Wednesday, unlike our normal schedule, because we've got a great guest. The Georgia State Representative Vernon Jones is joining us. He's big in the news these days because he's a Democrat who's dared to come out in support of Donald Trump. And he has a lot to say about the defund the police movement, about political correctness in America, about the Joe Biden and Donald Trump records and what uh, drove his decision to get behind uh, the 45th president instead of uh, his party's nominee. He's still a Democrat. He will not leave his party. He just believes that Donald Trump's policies are uh, better for America, better for African-Americans, better for Georgia, better for his district than uh, those of Joe Biden. He's going to explain that decision. You've probably seen him in the last few days on Twitter. We saw him at the White House uh, where we had uh, a law enforcement summit. He gave one of these statements that really went viral on on social media. You've probably seen him on Fox News in the last few days. Uh, He's making a lot of waves in the Democratic Party, a lot of waves in the uh, state of Georgia, a lot of waves uh, in the Republican Party. Uh, There are these new fresh faces that are coming to President Trump's campaign and supporting him. We had Burgess Owens, the former NFL star, the former New York Jets player, uh, uh, successfully won the GOP nomination for a uh, congressional seat in Utah. We've got Rep. Vernon Jones, uh, the state representative from Georgia. A lot of new faces, a lot of new dynamism, a lot of new interesting characters emerging uh, as the election day draws near and Representative Vernon Jones will be here to describe what he's been up to and what it's like to go against your party and support the other party's nominee and not leave your party. Uh, That's got to be a a pretty powerful experience that very few people in America have probably experienced. Um, When we come back from the commercial break, before we get to State Representative Vernon Jones, the Democrat who's dared to support President Trump, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the book in Russia Uh, And one angle that I think has been overlooked in the Russia uh, scandal, and that is uh, the connection between the Russia scandal and the Iran nuclear deal. Lee Smith, my good friend and colleague in journalism, has hit on it. uh, uh, Devin Nunez has hit on it. I'm going to bring you inside some evidence that only the FBI knew about. They and the the agents who were handling an undercover informant in Rossatom named Doug Campbell We'll get to that. There's a great nexus between the Iran nuclear deal and the failed Russian reboot, both policy uh, signatures of President Obama, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton. We'll get to that right after the commercial break. Please remember, support our sponsors and advertisers. They make this show possible. Hey, folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now. 
and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. In a few minutes, we're going to have the state representative Vernon Jones of Georgia, the Democrat who is daring to support Donald Trump in defiance of his party and his party's nominee, Joe Biden. You're not going to want to miss this interview. It's dynamic. Uh, There's a lot of discussion about what this election will turn on, what conservative and centrist African-Americans feel about Joe Biden. Uh, Vernon Jones unplugged. It's it's a really remarkable interview. You've seen him at the White House this week on Fox News. Uh, We get an exclusive half hour with with, uh, one of the more important uh, figures who've emerged in the election in the last few weeks, a, a black Democrat who is supporting Donald Trump and explaining why he and many other black Democrats may cross over, black independents may cross over in the November election. But first, I want to get to a story that comes out of our new book, The Fallout, The Nuclear Bribes, The Russian Spies, and The Washington Lies that Enriched the Clinton and Biden Dynasties. The book launched yesterday with my good colleague Seamus Bruner on yesterday's podcast, you got to hear from Seamus, who's just an amazing journalist and researcher and gumshoe reporter. I'm so thrilled to be sharing uh, the byline on this book with him and to to be working with him. He's uh, just an absolute, remarkable, honest, accurate, fair, thorough, balanced, neutral journalist. All right. Well, uh, as part of that book, uh, we wanted to highlight something that is very important. A lot of people don't, uh, in, the, uh, in everyday America, may not realize that the failed Russian reboot that we talked about so much yesterday on the show and the Iran nuclear deal are so interconnected. And there, there's so many ways in which they're interconnected. Let me just give you a couple of them. Uh, part of the reason why the Obama-Biden-Clinton team tried to assuage Russia, tried to win the hearts of Russia and Vladimir Putin with billions of dollars of contracts and uranium sales and uh, helping them build Skolkovo, the uh, Russian alternative competitor to America's Silicon Valley, was they knew they needed Russia if they were going to get any deal through the United Nations, if they were going to get a deal with Iran, which was one of the primary foreign policy objectives of uh, President Obama. There's no doubt about it. In fact, it's one of the few signatures that he has from his foreign policy. Much much of it, like the Russia reboot, failed. But So one of the motives for cozying up to Russia was to set up, improve the chances of an Iran deal. And once the president did the deal, sent billions of dollars to Iran, lifted the sanctions, uh, and... Um, uh, got the nuclear uh, deal in place where the Iran agreed to stop or freeze temporarily its illicit nuclear program. One of the first things the Iranians did with their money, this is not in doubt, the Pentagon and, and think tanks have all confirmed this around the country, they went and bought hundreds of millions of dollars of, you've got it, Russian weaponry. Yep, so I uh, when Iran won, Russia won. Uh, they got to buy some of the Russian uh, military hardware they had been denied buying while the sanctions were there. So uh, there are bookends at the beginning, at the back end. We want to talk to you about something just briefly before we get to Rep. Vernon Jones, uh, the Democrat from Georgia who's supporting uh, President Trump, uh, that happened in the middle of it. As President Trump and his team, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, uh, Joe Biden, were rushing to get the Iran nuclear deal through, the FBI had an undercover investigation inside the nuclear 
monopoly of Russia called Rosatom, controlled by the state, by Vladimir Putin. And the primary focus of that investigation was that some of its executives, particularly those on American soil, were involved in kickbacks, bribery, corruption, uh, money laundering, extortion, uh, racketeering. And so the FBI had this long investigation. They had this unbelievable undercover asset, Doug Campbell. He was posing as a consultant for the Russian company, but what he really was was an undercover operative for the FBI. And for six, seven years, the FBI had an unbelievable window into what was going on inside the Russian nuclear empire. And while the criminality was one of the big things to come out of it, there were four indictments eventually and plea deals and and, um, people went to prison for what was a very corrupt scheme by Russia to to compromise American nuclear security. The other thing that was being collected by Doug Campbell and being reported in real time to uh, the FBI and then up the chain through the intelligence community to the president and others was that Rosatom, Russia, had its own relationship with Iran. It was assisting Iran. And they uh, and the Russians were deeply involved in, in assisting the Iranians. And some things were simple, like there would be a, a restricted report by the IAEA, the nuclear watchdog of the United Nations that was trying to keep an eye and, and uncover Iran's illicit nuclear activities. And the Russians would use their standing as a, as a member of the Security Council on the UN to get the reports. And then they would forward these restricted reports to um, the, the Russian uh, nuclear company so that they could use it to understand what their liabilities might be in continuing to deal with Iran. But over that, that was something simple that Campbell collected. But over the years, um, Campbell got more and more stuff. And in fact, uh, there was an 11-page report in which Tenem was warned by an American consultant back in, I think, 2010. Yep, 2010. I'm just looking at my notes here. That uh, Republicans in Congress were extremely concerned. Uh, Republicans and Democrats, quite frankly, were extremely concerned that Russia was providing Iran with sensitive nuclear technology. So don't do anything to stoke those fears. Here's a quote that was intercepted by, by this in this report. The FBI got it. It was a consultant who later went to work for the Energy Department, Carol Moss Herman, in the Obama Energy Department. Before she did that, she was advising the Russians. And she wrote this report, and here's the quote from it. There are some in Congress who believe that Russia is providing Iran with sensitive nuclear technology, as well as nuclear know-how that will allow it to proliferate a nuclear weapons program, despite Russian government statements to the contrary, the report warned. Turns out the FBI had the same concerns. And uh, the more they learned about Russian assistance to Iran, backdoor assistance, Campbell was able to identify a specific company that was the nexus uh, by which uh, Rosatom and its 10X arm was getting nuclear materials and nuclear know-how to the Iranians. So he gave them enormous uh, uh, insights into Russian complicity with Tehran on what was supposed to be you know, a, um, uh, a illicit program that we were trying to stop, that the world was sanctioning and preventing. Well, the Russians had a backdoor, according to the FBI investigation. Doug Campbell was feeding it in real time and... Uh, at some point, as the as the um, uh, nuclear deal was becoming more inevitable from President uh, Obama and Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, a deal that you know President Trump has now reversed. Trump says it was bad. Obama said it was a good deal. Americans will make their decision in the fall who was right. But uh, the FBI became so concerned they were willing to burn. Campbell's identity, his undercover identity, to press the Russians. They were desperate to get answers to 15 questions. And so they they prepped him, they trained him. When he saw how specific the questions were, 
things like what is the megawatt capacity of this secret Iran nuclear facility in Bashir that the Russians have had? Campbell was mortified that the Russians might kill him. They might um, realize he must be working for U.S. intelligence. No one would ask these questions, but the FBI persisted, and Campbell asked them. But the questions are in the story I put up on the website last night on justthenews.com. You should take a look at it. There is zero doubt, zero doubt from the files that we've reviewed in the FBI undercover investigation that the FBI, the law enforcement community, the U.S. intelligence community, had grave concerns that Iran was cheating even before we gave them the nuclear deal, and that Russia was one of the facilitators of that. Uh, these questions just over and over again come up. Uh, I'll give you a couple, this is a verbatim question that the FBI wanted Campbell to ask the Russians. You could see why his identity got um, burned. What political issues are of concern to Russia if they continue to support the Iranian nuclear program? If Iran is seeking to enrich Iranium, what is the time frame? How many Russian employees are currently working on Iranian projects? How many Iranian scientists are currently working on nuclear energy projects? Wow. These were really specific questions that show that the FBI was desperate to get any intel they could to advise the president of the, the backdoor channel that Russia was using to keep the Iran sanctioned Iran nuclear program. It's another incredible piece of evidence that shows that the Iran reboot excuse me, the Russia reboot, which horribly failed, and the Iran nuclear deal were tagged together. And once they both went in their directions, Russia went south for Obama, Biden, and Clinton. Iran was put into place and got done just as they were leaving office. Um, Those were the precursors, the motivations uh, for the fake Russia collusion investigation that was foisted upon the Trump campaign by the FBI and others. Um, It was a cover-up to hide a foreign policy failure and to hide the complicity of Russia with Iran so that the Iran deal could get through without the American public knowing. To read more, go to justthenews.com. Check out my story, search on my byline. You'll see it there. It's an important story that makes um, a lot of new ground. These documents we put out yesterday, they've never been in the public domain before. Very, very important. All right, quick commercial break. Remember to uh, support our amazing uh, sponsors and advertisers. They make everything we do possible at Just the News, at John Solomon Reports. If you love this podcast, if you love the news site, support them because they are the fuel that keeps us going every day. When we come back, folks, uh, no longer delayed. State Representative Vernon Jones is joining us from the great state of Georgia, the Democrat who dares to support Donald Trump. You're not going to want to miss this interview. He's candid. He's open. He describes what frustrates him about Joe Biden and the current Democratic Party and why he's been uh, embraced with open arms with the Republican Party and Donald Trump. He was at the White House this week for a law enforcement summit. You'll want to hear everything that Rep. Vernon Jones has to tell us in just a few minutes. But first, let's go to this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, 
the state representative Vernon Jones of the great state of Georgia, a Democrat who has dared to support President Trump. Representative Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm glad to be here and I appreciate all your work, too. Um, and I hope your listeners uh, continue to support you. Thank you, sir. That means a lot. Um, you have been in the news a lot. I've seen you on TV a lot. I've seen a lot of people on the left shooting at you, a lot of people on the right embracing you. Uh, tell us a little bit of what is it like to be a Democrat who's chosen to support President Trump? Well, you know, um, John, I think I'm like most Americans who think practically. I call balls and strikes. And I think one of the reasons why our country is at, a, at gridlock is because of Congress, um, you know, Democrats versus Republicans, as opposed to being for the American people. And I understand we can't agree on everything. Um, I was born and reared in North Carolina on a farm. I was reared with the Southern traditions, faith and hard work, and the government doesn't owe you anything. Uh, matter of fact, only, the only thing you want from the government is to get out of your way so you can live your life. And so those principles never left me. Um, the Democratic Party has gotten so far, I always say that the party didn't, I didn't leave the party, John, the party left me. And as I look at my country, uh, it's obviously, and being told by my dad, even my dad was a World War II vet, and he wasn't uh, given all of, I would say, he wasn't treated like an American citizen because of, of the racism back there, but he never right. spoke against this country. He said, look, uh, you always put your country before anything else that we have fought and died for this country, and you honor this country. It's the best place in the world to live. Believe me, son. And uh, so I put my country before my party. I put my country before politics. And I got to tell you, the the bigotry um, is kind of ironic, you know, like they call the, they want to label the president as a racist. But if you look at Joe Biden's actions and his record, it's a lot more towards being a racist than being than President Trump being the one. Actually, President Trump's action is is pro-American, pro-everybody, everyone comes along. But Joe Biden, when he wrote that crime bill, um, that destroyed a whole generation of African-Americans who were taken away from their families. The crime didn't didn't meet the time, um, took away fathers, daughters, sons, etc. And this president, President Trump, came back with, with the First Step Act program, giving African-Americans an opportunity to reconnect with their families and on and on. But, you know, here's what's interesting. Um, the, the the Democratic Party talks about a tent, a big tent for everyone, and it's diverse when it comes to race and and sex, et cetera, age and age and et cetera. But it's not diverse, John, when it comes to uh, embracing independent thinking, black men and women with with conservative leanings. At that point, they don't want you in your party. And the biggest revelation I noticed. You know, when Democrats normally vote Republican, and let's say white Democrats, when they vote Republican, well, they're embraced. They're called Reagan Democrats. When uh, Governor Miller, who used to be a United States senator, uh, Democrat, right. when he came out and endorsed President Bush, uh, W. Bush, and spoke at the Republican convention, nothing was said about that. Matter of fact, it was a big thing. and It was embraced, even on the Democratic side. No criticism. But when I did it, it was like, wait a minute, you don't share the Democratic Party values. Uh, you don't need to be in this party. I was criticized. I was ostracized. And I'm like, but wait a minute. Uh, why am I treated differently? 
we had congressmen from Georgia, Congressman George uh, John Barrow and Congressman J uh, Jim Marshall, right. who were Democrats, conservatives. But they were they were given a pass. Well, uh, they can vote against Obama and they can be against Democrats because they have conservative leaning districts. But they were embraced. And they were given a pass. But here I am. And it's a clear choice that President Trump's record in just three and a half years has done far more than Democrats have in the past 30, 40 years. But I'm ostracized. So I think um, the liberal whites are horrified and they are terrified that blacks like me are becoming more vocal and they're realizing, wait a minute, I think President Trump said it best. What do you have to lose? Uh, but it's really you have a lot to gain because the Democratic Party has put everyone else in front of uh, the black vote. And we've been the bedrock of their elections, the black vote. That's what delivered uh, um, Vice President Biden out of South Carolina and other southern states. But we're the last right. to, to, to benefit from it. So um, but no more of that. I, I told them I, I turned the light off. I left that suite. And they can have that plantation. I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. And I'm remaining a Democrat. I'm not changing parties because I want to I want to remove that sheet and show the bigotry in this party and show how they are anti-police, how they are. They, they don't call out and condemn uh, um, Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Um, when you look at a group that's been funded by George Soros and others, all black lives don't matter to them. It's like it's when a black kid or person is shot or killed by a white officer oh major protests but in atlanta a few weeks ago a black child was shot not by a police officer and killed another one-year-old just shot and killed i think in new york one-year-old child black child where was black lives matter so do all black lives matter to black lives matter hell all lives should matter uh to all of us and this president all lives matter to us so um but i'm waking up a lot of black a lot of black democrats and i think Clearly, from what I'm receiving, a lot of uh, Democrats who were voting Republican, that I've become a fresh breath of air for them because this is what they knew when they were in the Democratic Party. Yeah, it, it is an amazing thing. I've, I've been talking to uh, a lot of black uh, uh, Democrats, a lot of black centrists who say, listen, the, the Democrats left us. They've taken us for granted. Uh, mm -hmm. They they only think the best thing we they can get us are maybe some reparations, a fifteen dollar minimum wage, and welfare. And President Trump has shown you know many African American business leaders a path to becoming millionaires, to being successful. And I hear this in lots of places now. Maybe three years ago, I didn't hear it so much, but I think seeing is believing. Uh, you have an amazing Twitter feed. I, I was reading it, getting ready for this. Uh, if you if folks, if you haven't seen it, at Rep Vernon Jones on Twitter, Rep Vernon Jones on Facebook, but. Most of the important things that the representative says are, are on his Facebook, usually with the video clip so you can watch it. I I was uh, interested in something you said yesterday. I think it was on Fox Business News. But you, you cast this election as a choice between the democracy and constitutional republic we have and the anarchy that we've seen in our streets. And it's that stark a choice. And I, I wonder, do you think that argument is resonating with everyday Americans, black, white, middle class, blue collar, blue lives, black lives? Is, is that an argument that is beginning to sink in? I think it is, and I can tell you why. Um, and you're on point. When you when you hear about Black Lives Matter, you start to say, okay, well, yeah, I agree, Black Lives Matter, and you start to buy into it. Uh, 
it sounds good. But when you look at the founders of Black Lives Matter and what is what is based on, and then when you look how they literally hopscotch and pick different lives that matter to make all the noise about. And then when they have these protests, you see looting and burning. And matter of fact, more black lives have been killed since these um, uh, riots. And I call them riots as opposed to protests, but if you want to say protests, but since those protests have taken place, more black lives have been killed. More black businesses have been burned. White businesses have been burned. You're seeing Black Lives Matter folks now going into suburban neighborhoods and and like the gentleman up in St. Louis, you're going to break a fence and come on his property. So it's beginning to be a backlash. Like, wait a minute, where are we going? Monuments being torn down. Oh, it didn't stop at the Confederacy. Now it's uh, now they're tearing down uh, Abraham Lincoln, even Frederick Douglass, who happens to be African American. Isn't that amazing? And so. So they're seeing how they, they've gone so far out there and to want to literally go in a city and take over several blocks and the police and fire medics not able to come in. How, what is it if it's not anarchy and the attacks on the police department? You want to defund the police department? We should be giving them more funding. And so, yes, I think it's starting to sink in. And I think if, if the president continues and really focus on that, uh, it's going to make a big difference in this election. It's going to make people decide quickly, wait a minute, you know, this sounded good for a moment, but my livelihood is at, is at stake. Uh, my business can be torn down. When I dial 911 and I'm put on hold, there's nobody available? Oh, no, no, that can't happen. You're, um, you made some comments at the White House the other day uh, for the law enforcement summit, and they went viral very quickly. And I'm curious, what sort of reaction have you gotten to, to the really powerful things you said when you, you were at the White House with President Trump, Vice President Pence? I've seen lots and lots of people uh, share that video and say, you have to watch this, this statement. It is something that makes, uh, uh, makes so much sense in this era of chaos and silliness. Uh, what's the reaction been to, to what you said at the White House the other day? Well, you know, John, I, I'm just I'm just pulling from experiences. I'm, exper- I'm I'm pulling from feelings, true feelings, actual real life, not in the bubble in Washington, but just with the American people in general. When I was the county executive, and I had to run a very large police department. Let me right. tell you, I had to deal with shootings. I was criticized by the media for using tasers. I stopped using tasers. Well, when I stopped using tasers, then there were some shootings. I was criticized because I wasn't using the tasers. But when I had to go to a family whose a family member had been killed by a police officer, that was painful. Whether the person broke the law or not, but this is a family member because we can't control what our family members do. The fact of it is, I had to grieve in a sense with that family and I had to represent what they didn't want to hear, but I had to let them know that I had compassion, but we have to enforce the law and we will do it. We will be fair. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to force the law, but we're going to be fair. And every shooting, John, a police shooting, I had a protocol set up where I'd have someone from the Georgia Bureau investigations there. I'll have someone from the district attorney's office there. My police chief would be there. My medical examiner would be there. I had different eyes on that scene, and they would make different reports. That would be rolled up, then handed to the district attorney's office, and they make the determination. What I wanted to do was be fair 
on both sides to the officer and not quick to judge that officer. He has due process, but at the same time, I want that family member to know that this is being investigated and there's not going to be a cover-up. But at the same time, too, when an officer, I've had officers who lost, lost their lives, inclu including two that were shot down in cold blood in one night, lying on, on that hard, cold brick pavement. And I had to go, John, I was, in, I was at Harvard taking a class. I had to leave Harvard to come back that week, that night. Same day I got up there, I came back, and these two young men, Officer Bark and Brian, had children and young wives. I mean, young babies. One had three children, I guess all under the age of six, and the other had two. Their wives all under the age, I want to say, of 25. They were crying. They were grieving. They just lost their father. Man, do right. you know what that felt like? I, I, I couldn't even get the words out. H however, those experiences, though, gave me an insight to look at both sides, meaning that, wait a minute, we got to protect our officers because there are some bad guys out there. All right. But we got to enforce the law. We have to be fair. We have to communicate with these families and justice has to come. But you do it in a balance. And so um, I just share that with them and that we have to support police officers. Matter of fact, our police headquarters here, the state, the public safety director's headquarters by the state patrol, it was right. it was bombed just recently with Molotov cocktails, the headquarters yeah. of the state patrol. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I immediately said something is not right here. And I, I condemned it. Uh, we just held a, I held a press conference, not a press conference, but a right. prayer for policemen yesterday just to pray for all our policemen across the state, all the agency heads. Um, even with the, the police department, when I lost my officers, I created a foundation because financially those families couldn't live uh, the quality of life of missing their husband and income. I created a foundation where every officer, regardless of what happened to them, if they had lost their lives, they would get an additional $100,000 life insurance policy. I mean, we have to support our police officers. We have to support law and order. Uh, and black people, John, here's the thing. Black people want you to enforce the law. They want it to be fair. Uh, but they wanted to be enforced. Uh, there's a call from the black community for that thug to report or to tell on the person who took the lives of those young children. Yeah, there's an outcry for that. So don't say that the black community don't need policing or don't want policing. As a matter of fact, if there's no policing, they're going to suffer the worst, you know? It's, it's such a true point. And, and one of the things that a lot of the people who try to engage politically on this issue just outright ignore there's a dynamic on both sides. I grew up in, in a family of uh, multiple generations of law enforcement, and uh, I I was trained. My dad was just such an amazing influence, still is an amazing influence on me today. And he, he always said, I don't want you, when you look at a person, to see their skin color first, their, their religious. I just want you to see a person. If you see an right. officer, he's black, white, Hispanic, Asian. I just want you right. to see an officer. I want you to see a person. Right. And too often today, the identity politics seems to, actually focus on race instead of the whole person. And uh, what you just said is, is so powerful. You, you, and you know, um, a footnote to that, John, one quick footnote. Yeah. And for all your listeners who are listening, doesn't matter what color you are. When an officer stops you or gives you a command, obey the officer. If you have a problem with him, we can get him through internal affairs. We can have him reported and they can investigate. That's right. But understand officers, they are experiencing life challenges too. And, and I got to tell you, John, I think 
one of the things that need to be done in terms of reform is that officer, the only time he takes a psychological exam is when he's getting hired. But if you've been on the beat four or five years and you've been answering all sorts of calls and seeing all types of crime scenes, how do we know that person's not burned out or where that person is mentally? If you, This is where right. you increase the funding. You need to have more frequent uh, psychological examinations. You may have to move them to a different beat or to a different job to give them some some time to breathe and, and you know, decompress. So we have to look at things like that, John. Yeah, it's such a such a great point, and uh, and it's not in the discussion often, but it certainly came up the other day at that at that meeting at the White House, which is is good mm-hmm. to hear that experts are starting to focus on the right issues, you yourself included. I have a colleague at the Justin News, Christine Dolan, who uh, was a, has been a great journalist for years, but for a period of time, she did some work outside of journalism. And one of the things she did was to arrange the 1990 tour by Nelson Mandela to the United States, and I I, I talked to so many people today who said. One of the things that's going to matter to voters this fall, whether it's African-American, white, uh, uh, whatever the constituency, authenticity is going to matter. And there was a, two stories about Mandela that I think speak volumes. We know that Joe Biden has falsely claimed, and I think he's corrected the record now, <laughs> that he, he, he was arrested along with Nelson Mandela. Uh, and, and Andrew Young. And, and Andrew Young, that's right, Andrew Young. And yeah. uh, Andrew Young told the truth. I'm sure Nelson Mandela would always tell the truth. Joe Biden didn't, and he got called on it. But there's a story that Donald Trump doesn't take any um, doesn't take any credit for. But back in 1990, when Nelson Mandela was making a really sort of a hasty arranged uh, trip to mm-hmm. to America during mm-hmm. the Bush years, H.W. Uh, Bush years, uh, he, he didn't have transportation. And Christine Dolan right. tells me this great story that it was Donald Trump who lent him uh, a Trump uh, shuttle planes to travel the country yep. for the days. How do, do those sort of stories matter to voters on the ground when they look at someone who's trying to claim he is who he isn't, who's paternalistic and says, you ain't black if you don't vote for me? How do these sort of these gaffes and mistruths and then you know Trump's sort of legitimate record of engagement with the community, how are they going to play out in the fall election? Well, well here's what's interesting. And in that story you talked about, you're absolutely right. When Nelson Mandela uh, came here, there was no plane available for him, and Donald Trump made his plane available. You're absolutely right. One of those stops was in Atlanta, and Joe Biden lied about being locked up. You know, what the media has done, the liberal media has done, um, is what I call, um, here's, here's what they, they did to Donald Trump. When they started out about Donald Trump being a racist when he came down the, el- the escalator, the liberal media was afraid then that Donald Trump had too much black support because Donald Trump has been working and doing things in the black communities for years. All the rappers wanted to be Donald Trump. The Jesse Jackson, right. Al Sharpton's, all of them was hanging around Donald Trump. Donald Trump understood and communicated and related with the African-American community. He was, he was out there. There are tons of donations he's made that help people here and there. Now, opposite um, the media, though, because they saw that support, the media came out and and what I call they defined Donald Trump. And once they defined Donald Trump as a racist, he became confined to that definition. So he's never been able to shake that Harley because they defined him as a racist. Joe Biden has never been defined as a racist or bigot. But when you look at his actions from the incarceration of African-Americans with the crime bill, then he watched that crime bill being carried out and watched the court system that show African-Americans were disproportionately uh, given more time 
and, and, and treated different crack versus cocaine. He had plenty of time to change that legislation because sometimes you have to go and tweak it when you see it's not working right. He didn't do that. And then all of a sudden, he comes out as recent as just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Well, first of all, it was offensive because saying you ain't black, I guess that's his jive talk. He wouldn't say that in front of a group of uh, white women or yeah, white businessmen. Um, so that was a jive talk. That was offensive. Uh, secondly, he feels like he has such a captive audience that he can literally say that if you don't vote for him, you're not black. Would he go to a group of women and say, if you don't vote for me, you're not a female? Or would he go to a group of, of, of in the Jewish community and say, if you don't vote for me, you're not Jewish? No, because blacks have been voting about 95% for the Democratic Party candidates for the past 40 plus years. It's a captive audience. They, they, I saw some of the candidates, uh, Joe Biden and, and the other white candidates, they were trying to out-black the black Democratic candidates. And then all of a sudden, if you look what was left on the stage, what was it? All white candidates left on the stage. Again, African Americans, they want our votes. But some things, there's a breakdown. We, we don't get an opportunity to really um, have full uh, access. And so with the Democratic Party, and so... John, it's ironic that you're right. President Trump has a record of helping, helping African-Americans, but he's described differently than by the liberal press than Joe Biden, who clearly, I mean, even when he stood in that black church and, and said that the Republicans are going to put you back in change if, 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 if you don't vote for Obama. Well, what he was saying was, you know, I'm the, look, the Republicans are boogeyman. Don't vote for them. Haven't I been taking care of you all? Don't vote for them. And nobody in that church was ever in change or know anything about slavery. So how's the yeah. Republicans going to put them into slavery? And no more than, uh, um, I think, uh, Hillary Clinton at a black church. I don't feel no ways tired. Well, she wouldn't say that at a Catholic church or she wouldn't say that at a, at a, a Baptist white church, but that was playing to black people with those subliminal messages like, we understand you, we feel you. But that's not the case. And so, but but there is, Donald Trump has done more, John, than any Republican or Democratic presidential candidate. And I say president, including Republicans, period, to really have an agenda to go after the black vote and not be afraid and knocked off by a boo from here or someone say, well, we don't want you there. He has been able to stay the course regardless of the media trying to make him feel that he doesn't have an opportunity to black voters. Donald Trump understand black voters. He understand they want jobs. He understand they want businesses. He understand they want safe neighborhoods. He understand they want to be able to invest. They want quality education. And he has broken that mold. This is the beginning of the beginning. Donald Trump's going to be known for a lot of things, and one of them is breaking the chokehold on the black vote for the for Republicans in this country. That will be a remarkable thing. Typically, Republicans hover between eight and eleven percent of the African American vote, and it looks like uh, you know, there's some discussions that maybe Trump is trending at trending at ten, twelve. Some people say twenty percent, but any two or three point shift in, in the dynamic of the vote would, would have a really profound consequence on, on the election. 
Um, Representative Jordan, I can't thank you. Uh, Jordan, listen, Representative Jones, I can't thank you enough for um, for joining us. I want to ask one last question, but first, I want to sure. remind folks if you're if you're impressed with what uh, Representative Vernon Jones is saying and what he's been doing and the activities that he's engaging in the community, uh, he's got an, a very dynamic Twitter feed at Rep Vernon Jones. So if you go to Twitter and you follow him at, at Rep Vernon Jones, you'll see everything he's doing on a daily basis. He's very prolific and everything he does is very transparent. You can see the videos, you can see the documents, you can see the bills and legislation that he's doing. Um, you, I want to ask you one uh, last question and maybe you can put on your uh, projections hat for a second. Um, mm -hmm. you, the more you become public, the more you voice support for Trump, those who uh, want to silence your voice are going to step up their activities. How, what's what's it been like within your own party? What what sort of tactics have already been used to try to silence you? And uh, uh, let's get to that question. I'll follow up with a wrap up just in a second. I'm, I'm curious just what's been going on behind the scenes. I saw it in my reporting. My own industry turned on me. I, I have to assume that the Democrats are trying to silence you in some way. Uh, not only the Democrats, uh, even the liberal media, and that we'll start with the Democrats, John. The Democrats. They've gone from censoring me, uh, saying that I don't belong in their party, I don't share their values, um, being left out of discussions. And that's why I was saying they don't have room in that big tent for African-Americans or independent thinking uh, who has conservative leanings, who love their country and willing to put country before party. Because it's a, it's a game for them. It's about blues versus the grays but i'm about the american people which is the red white and the blue and so um even with the media if you look at the liberal media they don't want to take an african-american a free Af free thinking african-american like me to be on cnn to challenge anderson cooper to challenge uh, uh cuomo uh to challenge even Don Lemon, to challenge them. They want to put African-Americans on there and all they're doing is bashing the president and calling the president a racist. And and Joe Biden's the best thing since sliced bread. But to have African-Americans like me, uh, who are who's educated, uh, who has political experience, uh, who's independent thinking, conservative leanings, an NRA member, support law enforcement, believe in the constitution, um, they they put want to put America first, believe in immigration, but securing the borders and not putting illegals before American people, uh, and standing up to foreign countries, whether it's China or these these foreign trade agreements that we were being taken advantage of. They don't want someone like me there, so I'm silenced from them too, because that keeps me from connecting with African Americans and all Americans, from and, and including Democrats and Republicans. That to see it come from me, wait a minute, uh, this is not just your average Joe Blow. I'm average in the sense that I'm in touch with the American people, but my experiences, whether in law enforcement, uh, whether running or, or doing economic development, um, uh, engaged in, in urban planning, um, um, development, I mean, all those things, um, appointing judges, my background, my experience. So I bring a wealth of knowledge. And guess what, John? Someone who's been profiled, uh, someone who's who's had to manage right. the police department, had to deal with crowds. I, I tell my nephew, look, son, I know you. You're in college. I know you. But if you wear your pants a certain way 
or when the police stops you, he doesn't know that you're a good kid. He doesn't know you came from a good family. Just obey him. Do what he says. Roll your windows down. Don't even if you think you're right, just that's not the moment. And so. But at the same time, black officers will stop black people, too. So why is it we painting this picture that it's white officers doing this to black people? There are some bad actors. We deal with them. But that doesn't cause us to protest and slash and burn and kill our fellow man and woman. So th they don't want me on there telling that story because in their mind, it's going to help President Trump. It's going to take away from Democrats because like Joe Biden said in the liberal media feel this way, I'm black. I'm supposed to vote Democrat. Well, you know what, John? I am black, but I ain't voting for Joe Biden. It's uh, it's uh, as as you say that, and I I watch uh, the Twitter light up each time that you, you you talk about this. People are starting to get the message that we there's there was a big victory last week for Republicans, a very dynamic candidate out in Utah, the former NFL star yeah. Burgess Owens. Yeah, a lot of Burgess fresh Owens. faces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember and, and watching you know, as a young thing and, uh, because I, I, John, here's an interesting dynamic. You probably see more African Americans running in majority white Republican districts and, and then you see African-Americans running and getting elected in majority white Democratic liberal districts. Yeah. You have more yeah, white, white liberals representing majority black districts than you have black liberals representing majority white liberal districts. So what, well, what, I didn't know that. If a I black yeah. just Owen, there's no black population hollow in his district. So so Republicans right. aren't looking at his color. They're looking at we believe this man can deliver, and I I support him wholeheartedly, and he'll do a good job in Washington too. Well, there are these fresh faces. There's this fresh dynamism, and and every election always turns on on a particular question. If you go back to '64. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson asked, can you really trust your, your Cold War security to Barry Goldwater? That worked. Ronald Reagan in 1984 asked the question, are you, are you better off today than you were four years ago? That worked against Mondale. Donald Trump in 2016 said, are you ready to drain the swamp? And people answered, obviously, with, with the election victory that he was handed. What If you look out, what's the ultimate question that you think voters will vote on this fall? What's the question upon which this election will turn in, in November? Well, I think the candidate who best defines what that question should be is the candidate that's going to win. And I believe President Trump is on the right track. President Trump is the firewall. He's literally the firewall between the Democratic Party and this country going to anarchy. He is the firewall. If you want your company, if you want your country to be at chaos, no police, um, crime going up, no job creation, um, just people can just start taking over cities, burning, slashing, no freedom of expression, John. This is important now. You can't even express yourself. If whether you put on a, on a Joe Biden hat or or President Trump had, you should not be abused for freedom of expression. And the far left is taking that away. And so that's why I said the question is, do you want this country to remain the country that founded upon this framers principles where freedom of expression, freedom of, of your constitutional rights, period. He's the firewall. 
He is truly the firewall. And when people start to realize that, wait a minute, my business um, is going to suffer. My 401 plan is going to go down. Job. The president proven it, proven in just three and a half years what he can do in the job with the job creations. Look at where he had record number of unemployment across the board. Didn't matter if you're black or white, male or female, small businesses, investors starting to invest back with the opportunity zone districts, turning around and revitalizing neighborhoods. Uh, the, the tariff agreement, starting making others pay their fair share and concentrate. He's in Atlanta today uh, to announce um, huge, a huge investment in infrastructure and in a major yes. highway to get those trucks from the from the ports of Florida and Savannah and getting information, getting resources and products. Um, and he's removing and streamlining the whole government backlog jam process, meaning all those rules and regulations and restrictions where it takes seven years to just to get the clearance to build a road from the federal government. He's narrowing that down to two years. That's huge. That's efficiency. That's job creation. It's going to create and redevelop more uh, opportunity uh, uh, and job developments along the court of I-75 going from south to north and vice versa. So this president gets it. So if you want to, you want to be like you were prior to the pandemic. And and can you imagine the next four years, John? What he what he's done in just three and a half years? Can you imagine what we can be in the next four years with his leadership? Do let me tell you, John. I think you agree to this. We don't agree on everything. But if, if the American people look at the core values of, of, of that makes up their quality of life, a safe neighborhood, a good bank account, 401, job wages, uh, your kids able to go to a, a college or a trade school and economic development. That's what President Trump represents. Um, Joe Biden has had 49 years, 49 years. And nothing to show for it. Now, he may not remember it, but we should remember that on election day. We will remember that. And finally, I, I want to say, John, to um, when I look at the African-American community, how we've been taken advantage of because we've been trained almost to think and breathe Democrat and not look for holding them accountable. But let's go back. Think about it. Uh, it was the Democrats who didn't want to free the slaves. It was the Democrats who started the Ku Klux Klan. It was the Democrats who fought the Voters' Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. It was Robert Byrd, a Democrat card-carrying KKK member that was Joe Biden's friend, and Joe Biden gave the eulogy, if I'm not mistaken. And it was Democrats who, who, who just, you know, who said Joe Biden, that if you don't vote for him, you're not black. That is just mind-boggling. That that alone, you you would want to teach him a lesson that you know what you just take my vote for granted. But this this president, President Trump, is for every American. I got to tell you, if he offends someone, it's not just one. He offends everybody. He's an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I He's an heard equal that opportunity offender. Yeah. But yeah, at the same funny. time. He's an equal opportunity deliverer, too. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white, urban, farmers, or inner city. This president is pulling for you. He's working hard for us every single day. And uh, he deserves uh, a, a second opportunity, a second term 
to, to finish the job. He needs to finish the job. He has us on the right track now. Well, you've been listening to Rep. Vernon Jones from the great state of Georgia. Representative Jones, I can't thank you enough. You've been so gracious with your time. We went a lot longer, but I'm so glad we did with a lot. And I hope I hope we can get you back on the show before the uh, before the election. Uh, it's very important to have a conversation about all the issues that are being suppressed and, and kept uh, from the American public from by the media and and by the censors and social media. And we're, we're just so grateful to have an opportunity to, re to really talk about what's going on in the real world. So, folks, if you want well, to follow, uh, <laughs> sorry, sir, go ahead. I'll be back, John. But I, I tell you this: thank you for your podcast and your source of getting the other side out. That is so important because you yourself felt what it's like to be uh, smothered or stifled or, or held back from, from bringing out the truth. So um, I want to, your, your listeners are very fortunate. I'll, I'll be happy to come on anytime uh, that you have me, John. Thank you so much for all you do. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. If you want to follow the representative online uh, at Twitter, at Rep. Vernon Jones, on Facebook, Rep. Vernon Jones, it's a really fun, dynamic uh, social site. You, you get to see everything that the state representative is doing all the time. Great transparency. All right, folks, we're going to be back in a second to wrap things up. But first, we got to go to a commercial break. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up a special edition of John Solomon Reports. Thanks for tuning in. We've done a couple of these in the last few weeks because we've had some pretty amazing and time-sensitive interviews. Steve Bannon last week, we hope you enjoyed that. Rep. Vernon Jones of the great state of Georgia, the Democrat who dares to support Donald Trump today. Uh, every so often, we'll continue to bring you these special reports, these special podcasts. We thank you for listening. We hope you tune in again tomorrow for our regular John Solomon Reports podcast. And until then... Stay in touch with all the news, breaking news, exclusive accountability news by going to justthenews.com, our great website where my colleagues Daniel Payne and Christine Dolan, Carrie Sheffield, uh, Nick Ballacy, so many great reporters, Susan Katz-Keating, a great national security reporter. I am so blessed to be surrounded by these great, honest, neutral, careful, factual reporters. I hope you benefit from the site as well. Go to justthenews.com and check us out, and we'll be back tomorrow with our regular edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Just the News.